morning, KMCC, here in the house, patio, and online. Jesus is here this morning. Amen. Jesus can turn lives around. Jesus can touch hearts. Jesus can mend and heal lives. And he can do that and will do that for you this morning. Let's praise and worship God this morning. You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, working in this place. I worship you. I worship you.
this out now.
teach you a new song this morning that talks about how the rocks and the stars and all of creation give praise to God. And we're also going to talk about Jesus' redemption through his sacrifice on the cross. Who else would rocks cry out to
Lord, now we come before you with our every need, Lord. You are enough. I've never been more loved than I am right now. Wasn't holding you up, so there's nothing I can do to let you down. It doesn't take a trophy to make you proud. I've never been more loved than I am right now. And going through a storm, but I won't go down. And I hear your voice carried in the rhythm of the wind to hold me out. And you would cross an ocean so I
Man, I love that song. I hope you do too. Such a great, great song. He is the provider, Jehovah Jireh. Provides for us in every situation in our lives. One of the ways that he's provided for us is to sacrifice Christ on the cross. And we're going to come to a time this morning where we uh, participate in the Lord's Supper together, communion. And I just want to make a little reminder of what we learned in our series through 1 Corinthians thus far. It seems to be a communal activity. We do it in different forms and different styles. Uh, we just don't want it to get rote and routine. We want to make it special. And so we're going to go back to one of the forms that we've done pre-pandemic, actually. And uh, we're going to ask you guys to come forward during the next two songs, really one long song and one shorter song, just so you know that. But come down the aisles and you would grab your elements at these tables over here. Uh, participate as a family, partaking in the elements right in front of the stage. When you're done, come down through the center. Go back to your seats that way so we can keep a flow of traffic making it possible for everybody to participate together. Um, but we're going to do that this morning together. And I really uh, exhort you men, uh, fathers, uh, lead your families in this. Bring your families down forward. Be prayerful about it. Make it be meaningful. Maybe stare at the cross for a little while, stare at the elements. Really consider what the elements mean. Piece of bread representing a life that you could not live on your own, a perfect life that we would never be able to live on our own. Some juice represent the blood of Jesus, really represent the death that we deserve, that he would take it on your behalf, on your family's behalf, so that you could have fellowship with God. Make sure it's a meaningful moment as you ponder these things, as you remember the work of Christ on the cross. Something Christ himself said to do until he comes back. You keep on doing this in remembrance of me until I come back. And so for 2,000 years as a church, we've been doing it. And we're gonna do it again this morning. I want to remind you that it's a time to examine yourself. We talked about this. Not that we could ever come on our own righteousness before God. None of us would, would be able to. We'd all pale in comparison to his righteousness. But it also means that we don't come flippantly, that we don't just come and go, oh, I don't care what I've done with my life. If I need to do business with God, I take some time, prayerfully consider where I'm at. Get right with him before I do an activity like this. The answer isn't to let the, the elements pass. The answer is for you to prayerfully get right with God and participate in the elements. And if you're here and you're a non-believer, you're new to this whole Christian thing, you're checking the church out, and you're, you're even wondering what this is all about right now, I would just invite you to take it in. Just watch what's going on here. Don't feel like you'll be doing something wrong if you don't come forward, it's okay. And there may be a time and day where you take your first step towards Jesus Christ, put your faith in him, and then you'll do this with us as a family. And that'll be wonderful, but don't worry about today. So with that being said, two songs, one longer one. Come when you find space. Come when you feel comfortable. Men, lead your families. Let's make this a meaningful moment. my Savior's blood The beauty of heaven wrapped in my shame The image of love upon death's frame Of heaven my heart 
Good morning. 
Welcome to everybody this morning. We have a special uh, kind of different thing this morning. I have a guest speaker here today. I don't know if you guys were here last week or the last couple weeks, but today marks the five-year anniversary of me being your pastor. And so, yeah, thank you. Those of you who aren't clapping, the door's right there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we're so glad that you're with us today. And what I've done over the years when it came anniversary time, I'd bring somebody who was key in my life to come speak. Uh, we've had uh, Ted Montoyle come, who led me to the Lord. Tim Jacobs has been here. We've had uh, Dr. Philip Howard, who was pastor in Northern California for 10 years under his ministry. Today we're going to have Dr. David Miller, uh, who is uh, really uh, formerly of the area in Chatsworth, California, was a pastor at the church at Rocky Peak. When I first got out of college and into seminary, I was under his uh, leadership for five years. Uh, he's only a guy who took a church from dirt to like 2,500 people. He's a, an amazing living legend, so we're very, very uh, uh, um, privileged to have, get to have him today. As I said last week, he's coming out of retirement just to speak, and, uh, and I always like to say, if you love anything that you're seeing in the leadership of Camarillo Community Church now, uh, then please, uh, would you honor David Miller, because he's one of the reasons why we are who we are. Uh, in mentorship of me and pastoring, shepherding of me along the way and coaching me along the way. If you hate anything that you see as a leadership of Camarillo Community Church, then blame David Miller because it's not my fault. I mean, I, I mean, it's because of him. <laughs> and so uh, I'm going to do something I didn't do the first hour before I bring you up. Three little memories uh, uh, of David Miller. This is how, how, how much he's meant to me in my life. Uh, when I was coming out of college, he came to me and said, David, I'm going to buy your gym membership. I want you to get healthy because I, I believe God's going to use you in the long haul and you need to get healthier. And he had that, that conversation with me where I could see he loved me and wanted, you know, I was a bigger guy. He used to call me Big Dave. I'm still working on that as we go. But, uh, but because of him and his, I, his, his long view, David, if you're going to be in ministry a long time, you got to get this under control. I really appreciate that. I'll never forget the Christmas that he pulled me in the green room. Hey, David, come here. He pulled me in the green room, and he gave me a handshake, and it was 200 or $250, and he said, go get your mom something for Christmas. And here I am coming out of college. I have nothing, and he wanted to make sure my, that I had something to be able to give to my mom. Uh, David Miller was the guy who said, David, keep on going to school. I remember being in college going, I'm getting a Bible degree. I'm just going to be a youth pastor. Junior hires don't need somebody to have a master's degree or a doctorate. Why, why do you need that? And he would say, David, go to school. Go to school, go to school, keep on going to school. It only opened the doors for how God can use you, and I had no idea that I would end up here, all because David Miller. Get up here. Love this guy. <laughs> kind words, David. Appreciate it. Now, um, in the first service, we had some things, so Dave's going to look surprised right now, okay, on these gifts. But uh, here's what... <laughs> Uh, there was a, I do a outreach in coffee shops. I love that. And uh, so you meet people and whatnot. And one of the guys went to a garage sale and he said, I got some stuff, San Francisco stuff. And I went, a Rams fan, I don't care. And I thought, wait a minute, I'm going to be, I'm going to be preaching at Dave's church. He loves San Francisco. So, and I took a close look at it and, and there's this, it's, it's something to be hung in a bar or a pastor's office. <laughs> it's a, but it's a, got all the fans in there. And you notice, you'll see right there, can you see, can you see David right there? He put me in the picture. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, uh, at 15 years of age with Jerry Rice, he already had a goatee. So he's looking, <laughs> he, he's looking pretty good. But uh, anyway, that's for you, David. It has a light on it too, so you can, you can think it's pretty heavy there. You got that. I love it. And then, uh, then uh, now the first service, we talked about your hater, right? Yeah. Okay, so here's the deal. He loves his team. 
but we don't want them cross the line to hate other teams, right? Don't be a hater, be a lover, right? So the test in the first service, I gave you one roll. This is a test. This is a Rams oh, nice. toilet paper. Okay. <laughs> now, if you never use it, it proves that you're not a hater, okay? Okay. Gotcha. But if you use it, you're a hater, right? You can't do that. So there you go. You got the first Perfect service I gave Dodgers. Now he's got the Rams. So uh, <laughs> that's great. But David, uh, you know, I had one tape that I kept from back in those years. And this is 2001 when Dave was, I don't know what, you were in college at the time or what? 21, 21, I don't know, whatever. And he gave a message. And it was, the, he was junior high director. I don't know what, what the titles were. And he gave it to the college students. It was so awesome, I wanted to keep that. And so I don't have any of the other tapes, but I thought, you've got to see it because one of the amazing things about Dave was I could see it right away. This guy had an ability to take the deep things of God and make them understandable, exciting to whether they're junior higher or, or college. And I began my ministry, I don't know if you knew this, I began my ministry as a junior high director. I didn't know that. Yeah, I was in, I was in Indiana, junior high director, and I learned something. And that is, everybody in the church is just a graduate junior hire. See, we're all, we're all there. That's where we're at. So once you can communicate to those guys, you can make it. But anyway, I saved it. It's a cassette tape. Um, I'm an official geezer. He can, he can try to figure out a way to listen to it. But it's a really great message. I kept it all these years. I thought you might like to have this little memory. And love you, David. You're awesome. Thank you so much. It's great. We, uh, you know, I, I really want to share that. And that is that Dave really does have a unique gift because we used to call him Big Dave. You know, he's, he's kind of gone from Costco Dave to Big Dave, I guess we could say that. He's, he's really looking a lot better, and that's good. Uh, I appreciate that about him. But um, he has a big, well, I always thought of Big Dave with the big heart he has. He loves people. He loves the word. And, you know, now uh, I've shifted out of being a, a lead pastor for 50 years, and now I, what I do is I coach lead pastors. And so I work with lots of different individuals, and I'm not just trying to throw a bouquet, but, boy, when you've got a man who's got these kind of gifts, who has such an ability to dig deep and yet make it relevant to your life, um, and he's a good leader, too, and you put that all together, it's just pretty amazing. So, And I love the fact that you love him. I, I sense that. You know, you get into churches where congregations don't love their people and he certainly loves you he brags on you when I get together with him he's always bragging about his church and his leaders and whatnot so it's just a joy to be here I feel honored and privileged to be here if you're a guest I just want you to know that um, you've, you've got to come back there's a lot of churches that'll give you cotton candy it's sweet goes down but it'll rot your teeth it won't be substantial at all um, but uh, when you come back you hear Dave he's a, he's a guy that gives you filet mignon so you come back, you're going to get filet mignon. Today, you get me, hamburger helper. That's about the best you're going to get. So, uh, but we'll do our best to make, make that all happen. Let's pray together. God, as we give a message on prayer, uh, I, I ask God that all of us together here would not just learn some things about prayer, but it will change our lives, that we will want to pray more because we really believe prayer always works. So, Spirit, do your work, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Why do we pray less than we think we should? At least the survey was done. 90% of the Christians have this feeling that I'm not satisfied with my prayer life, and they wish they would pray more. And I really believe the reason we don't pray more is because we really don't think it works. It's really quite simple. I don't believe prayer works. 
And that's kind of been my prayer about this message, that you would clearly understand and have a conviction in your life as you leave here. Not, not under, you know, under conviction, but leave here with a conviction that prayer always works. And so the big idea, and Dave always has a big idea, so I better throw one in here. And it's simply this. When I am confident that prayer always works, I will want to pray, and I will pray more and pray a lot. I'm not talking about the amount of time. Uh, one of my mentors, I would say, in a distant way and in, 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 in other ways is Chuck Swindoll. Uh, had him preach at my church when I was young in the ministry, and he was younger too as well. And he, he said, you know, there's times when 10 minutes is plenty of prayer for me that morning. He says, other times, two hours is not going to be enough. I need more. So I, I don't think we have any clock on us in the Bible that says this is how we're to pray. In fact, the Lord's Prayer, it's not his. Of course, he never prayed that. He never prayed, you know, forgive me my trespasses. It's the Lord's Prayer because he gave it to the disciples. It takes less than 60 seconds to say it, and that was him teaching people to pray. So I'm not getting into the time frame of it, but just the fact that I really long, I want to pray. And the excuses that we have, if we really believe prayer worked, we wouldn't give these excuses. I'm too busy. Well, if I really believe prayer worked, I would say, I'm going to make time for prayer. Or we get disillusioned. I, I'm praying a lot, and I, don't, I, I haven't seen these answers. And, you know, if prayer worked, I'd have a whole list of answers instead of the people not having answers to prayer. So, uh, you, you know, I, I'm, in fact, I could even get bitter. I, I know I've seen that happen in lives. And then there's the theological issue, and that's the one that kind of hit me. And I can remember, I was very honored, I don't know how I got the privilege, but I, I was invited to do chapels for the professional teams way back when I was in Long Beach. And I'm so old, I did chapels for the, the Los Angeles Raiders, if you can remember that. Uh, got to do the Rams chapels and did uh, Lakers. They had voluntary chapels before their game and the baseball teams as well, the Dodgers and Angels and uh, I, the one I enjoyed the most was the freeway series. Back in that day, the Angels and Dodgers played a game, and it was really for pride. But every time we were, I would give a chapel, and my son got to go with me. It was very cool to be in the locker room. In those days, they don't allow it now. But, but we would pray. At the end, I would pray. And, of course, in the prayer, we'd, I'd just toss it in there. And, you know, God, it would be nice to. No injuries, blah, blah, blah. Pay our best, blah, blah, blah. All that that went on. But then it was, it'd be nice to, to win the game. Now, when you're doing chapels for both sides... You don't, you don't put that in there. You just leave that out. And so afterwards, my son says to me, you know, Dad, is it wrong to pray to want to win a game? I said, no, that wouldn't be wrong at all. It's probably what you want. Well, if both sides are praying that they're going to win, which one's God going to answer? Of course, being the theologian I am, God is sovereign and he will do his will. And my son says, then why pray? That's a good question, son. Let me think about that just for a moment here, you know. And I gave him some answers, and, and, and they were there, but it's part of the reality in my own life. I, I have such a, a love for the sovereignty of God. I mean, it's the most important thing about God other than his love, that, that he's got things in control, as we shall see. God works out everything in the conformity with the purpose of his will. That's good. I'm glad to know that. But that's a challenge because we begin to think, then why do I want to pray? 
But God tells us we should do that. We should keep on praying, not just because we feel like it. In fact, many times I, I pray when I least feel like it because I know that's when I need it the most. So the Bible says, I mean, Jesus said, always pray and don't give up. Romans, in this book a little later on, be faithful in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray continually. Now, for me, that's a challenge. If you haven't sensed it already, I'm ADD. <laughs> And uh, when you're growing up with ADD, uh, there's challenges. I was always in trouble. I, was, I, w- I spent a lot of time in the principal's office. If they didn't have magazines in the principal's office, I wouldn't have learned how to read. I, I just spent my time there. My wife, uh, you know, had to put up, puts up with me with this ADD, and it's, it's kind of a challenge. Uh, we've made it for over 50 years because I never gave her the combination to my gun safe. So we're fine. We've, we've made it all these years. But when you're praying and your mind's going every which way and everybody has a little bit of a difficulty, and this is nothing new. You probably have something that helps you, but it revolutionized me. I began with Acts, you know, which was ask, confess, thanks, and supplication. Then I shifted over to pray, and they really, they really take the Lord's Prayer and take those principles and you give something to follow. So when I'm praying, okay, P, I'm going to praise God. I'm going to thank him. I begin with it. And then I, or I'm going I'm to repent. You know, the Bible says, Job at the end, chapter 42, he repented. And, and the Bible tells us that, uh, that God loved that church in Revelation. And I, I discipline you now. I want you to repent. And so, or confess. You can use that. And then ask. He wants us to ask. Have not because you ask not. And then, of course, you yield it. His will, your will be done. And that's the point. About what we have in Romans here. In this passage is we have the three jobs involved in prayer. Now, some of you are the 10% and say, I, I'm pretty pleased with my prayer life. I'm not perfect, but I like it. Well, we're going to lift up the hood. We're going to look at the engine. In fact, the engine's going to come out. We're going to take a look at the inner works of the engine to understand how it works. And we'll see that it always does work. And there's three roles that we're going to see in these verses. We're going to see the role of ours, what our job is. My job, your job as a believer, we're going to see what the job of the Holy Spirit is, and that's really interesting because you wouldn't know anything about that if it wasn't revealed in the Word of God. And then we see what the Father's job is as well. So it's Romans 8, 26 and 27, and you're probably very familiar with 28. So here we go. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Now, it does not say When we do not know, it says, fact, we don't know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he, that's the Father, who searches our hearts, also knows the mind of the Spirit. Is that cool? We have the Father, we have the Son, we have the Holy Spirit. They each have their own mind. Here the Holy Spirit has his, he has his own mind This three-in-one is so baffling, isn't it? This uniqueness. No other religion has a one God with three persons. It's unique to Christianity. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people, and that's often translated saints, really means holy ones, in Christ, in accordance with the will of God. Wow, that's what the Holy Spirit... I I get the will of God with the Holy Spirit in there. And then this verse. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Job number one, that's ours. Now, I want you to know right up front, if you have your outline, I don't want you to freak out. We're going to spend very, very little time on the last job, 
but we're going to spend a lot more time on the first one because that's ours, okay? So here we are. What's, what's our job? What's the believer's job? Here it is. Initiate ignorant communication. You say, that'll be easy, Pastor. Yeah, that's right. It will, you know. I'm going to initiate ignorant conversation. It's, it's that little phrase that we can blow by very quickly, but it's really interesting. Uh, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, what is the weakness? Now, please read the words carefully. We do not know what we ought to pray for. It does not say when we do not know what to pray for. It says when we're praying, we don't know what to pray for. There's a level of ignorance. This is foundational. Now, let me give you three knots, okay? Okay, three knots about the, our, our ignorant prayers, okay? Our ignorant prayers are, number one, not overcome with spiritual maturity. Well, if I get really spiritually mature, then my prayers will no longer be ignorant. No, they will still be ignorant. Notice how Paul says, he says, our weaknesses. We, he includes himself, the apostle Paul. This is the guy who spent three years in the desert with God after he became a, converted on Damascus Road. He gets sent out on the first missionary journey. There he writes First and Second Thessalonians, uh, Galatians. Then he gets out on the second missionary journey. He writes First and Second Thessalonians. Now he's on the third missionary journey. He's already written First and Second Corinthians. You're going through that with your pastor. You don't want to miss it next week. And now he's writing Romans, this a phenomenal treatise. And he's writing the halfway through. And he says, hey, I'm with you. Got ignorant prayers? You got ignorant prayers? Well, if Paul has ignorant prayers, let me tell you what, so do we. And the Romans, they're listening to this, they're going, oh, that's great, because they're basically new Christians, and we're all in the same boat of ignorant prayers. And the classic ignorant prayers of some of the great people in the Bible, I mean, here we have Job saying, may the day of my birth perish in the night. I, it was said I was, I was a boy and I was born. Moses, this is how you're going to treat me? Then put me to death right now, God. Elijah, I've had enough, Lord, take my life. Jonah, now, O oh Lord, take away my life. It's better for me to die than to live. Wow. And the reality is we can all give ignorant prayers. Those are extremes, but that's just kind of where we are. And we get this idea. We just don't understand the omniscience of God. He knowing everything, all the future, and we're going to talk to him, and we're going to kind of tell him, this is what you ought to do, God. It's, it's, you know, my little pea brain. I mean, you try to get an analogy of our Heavenly Father and us, and maybe it's like a guy with a Ph.D. who has, has children, and, and, and it's like the, the three-year-old who says, I'm going to tell Dad what to do. That'd be like a new Christian. Then you go all the way through school and do what your pastor did, and he gets a seminary, gets his doctorate, and so your pastor's three and a half years old. Now, I've been doing this for 50 years, so I'm four years old, Dave. I just want you to know I'm way ahead of you. I'm way ahead. But the bottom line is we're just, we're just it's, it's, it's just childish. It's ignorant prayers. We, it's baffling how ignorant our prayers are. God knowing everything. God never looks down and goes, oh, myself. Oh, well, I'll take a moment. Okay. Number two, it's not going to be ended when you... Uh, Think that if I have, if I have this, this ignorant prayer, I, maybe, maybe I'm not supposed to be bold. But our ignorant prayers in communication with God is not to intimidate bold praying. 
That little phrase, we ought to pray for. We ought to pray. We are to be people who ought to be praying. And so when you look at it, it's, it's, it's amazing. I remember learning verbs and, and those imperatives, and your Dave's so good about making them come alive. And you look at the Lord's Prayer, and you realize they're all demands. They're imperatives. There, there's six demands, and if you really read the text, it says, our Father in heaven, cause your name to be hallowed, deeply revered. Establish your kingdom. Make your will to be done, not ours. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others. Lead us not into temptation. It's demands. That's kind of uh, a little bit presumptuous and rude. No, it's not. God says, I want you to come to me with passion. God does not want you to look back and say, well, God, you know everything, and I'm going to give my prayers, and you're probably going to laugh a little bit about this, and uh, I'm not sure, you know, uh, you, but here goes anyway. No, you come to God, and when you give those demands, you're saying, it's because I really believe this, God. Now, I want your will to be done, but I really believe it, so I share it. So, therefore, we come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and grace in time of need. That just simply means you don't wait till you're perfect to come to God. You just come to God. And so we're just children. Don't you love children's prayers? I have a book somebody gave me. Children's prayers that they prayed. They recorded them. People sent them in. Here's one of them. Dear God, my parents said we're getting a new baby. That is a bad idea. Send us a puppy. <laughs> Dear God, instead of letting people die and having to make new ones, you should just keep alive the ones you already have. Now, we laugh, and, it, it, and we should laugh. If you don't think that our prayers come across that way to an omniscient God, we don't understand just how profound his omniscience is. Now, there's a third area, our prayer a weakness. It, it, it's not sin. This is a biggie. It's a lack of omniscience. The fact that we have ignorant prayers is not a sin. It's just that we're not omniscient. Jesus it's so important you understand that Jesus himself gave up when he came to earth. He set aside in Philippians 2 his, his omnis. So he was not, he was not we, we could say he was not omnipresent. Jesus, oh, you showed up too late. Lazarus died. You couldn't be here. If you got here earlier, you could have healed him. Of course, you raised him from the dead. But he couldn't be in two places at one time. And what about him being omnipotent? He's asleep in a boat. God never sleeps or slumbers. Well, that's pretty human. He's sacked out. How about this? He's not omniscient. Some lady touches him, gets healed. Who touched me? I, I, I want to know who touched me. He didn't know. And so we need to understand that when we see Jesus in the Gospels, he's laid it aside. He could pick it up with the Father's will. If you want to see Jesus in his glory, read Revelation. He's risen, man. There, there you see him in all of his glory. And yet Jesus, who taught his disciples that you need to know, abide in me and, and my words in you, and you can ask and it will be given to you because you want God's will. But he himself prays three times. You remember, to me, the most, some of the most important prayers we find are Jesus, and he's praying in the garden three times. Don't, I don't want this, this cup of suffering, but, but your will be done. So God's will was done, and, and, and he got to know. In a sense, the final test of God's will is prayer when it's his unrevealed will. You pray. That's how we kind of get it. But our prayers are ignorant. 
There's so many I'd like to share. I'll just share a couple that stand out to me. Uh, early in, in my ministry, uh, when we had our youngest, had some health issues, and my wife would be in the back, and she nursed that little one. And uh, after one of the services, an uh, elderly lady came up to her, just all, oh, I mean, classy, Jules is just a class lady. She came over and she said, I just want you to know that I'm, I'm brand new to the church. It was a larger church, about 1,200 people. That's, and, and said, I just want you to know I'm, I'm brand new to the church. Uh, and, uh, but I noticed you over there with your little baby. And I noticed the ring on your finger. And your husband not there with you. And I prayed all week that your husband would come to church. And my wife said, he answered your prayers. He's up there preaching in just a minute. So there you go. Now, that's a, that's a great prayer. And a prayer that I find that's kind of has a little humorous side to it, but my brother, uh, my younger brother, was incredibly intelligent. Uh, he was he got the brains in the family, so to speak. Perfect score in his SAT in high school. Okay, that's pretty smart. Always straight A's, and it was just it's incredible. But he decides he wants to go to seminary a little later than I did, and his first day. Finishing his seminary classes, he comes out of the classroom, he's driving through a construction zone, and somebody flags him through and misses the fact that a big truck's coming through, hits him, knocks him, smashes his head against the side, he goes into a deep, deep coma. They take the pictures of his brain, he's got a contusion, they say, you just need to know he's going to be in a vegetative state. If he comes out of this, he will never recognize anybody. So he just stayed there. Deep coma, Every, everything's being provided for him. How long do we do this? He gets arms can atrophying and and finally we just said you know we don't want to have to pull the plug we, we don't want to do that he's still he's still alive and we, we were praying and literally as a family we got together we just said lord we don't want to pull any plug you know we please if he's he'll be he'll be a, a new person in heaven if you just take him to heaven that would solve a lot of things we know we don't understand it all but we we can't handle this anymore we're okay take him home well, he came out of his coma. He learned how to walk and talk and got things going. He wasn't able to handle a job because he still had some pretty serious head trauma. Uh, and I remember telling him about it. I said, yeah, Tim, you know, we, we kind of prayed that, that God would take your life. He goes, thanks a lot. <laughs> I said, well, you would have gone to heaven, but we didn't know at the time that you were going to recover this well. And, um, which I need to say, by the way, in all those years, he passed away at, at, uh, a few years back. Um, he never once complained about that. He said God had a reason. I think I had a harder time with that than he did. But my whole point is we pray. Our prayers are ignorant. Get it down. The best prayer you have, even when you, when you get an answer yes on it, it kind of locks in. There's still an ignorance that's imperfect about it. So that's our job. The Spirit's job. Now, if ours are ignorant conversation with God to the Almighty God, then the Spirit's job is what? He's going to wise up our prayers. <laughs> that's the good news. So the Spirit helps us. The Spirit himself intercedes for us. See, we're here, then the Spirit intercedes. He has these groanings, and he gives them to the Father. Don't confuse the Spirit and us. There's, there's interceding going on. You're not the Spirit. And the Father who searches the hearts and the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, notice, in accordance with the will of God. That's what he does. He wises up our prayers. The eighth chapter, if you want to get to know the Holy Spirit, and you should, because He's the, he's the person in the Trinity that is most intimately involved in your life more than anybody else. He caused you to be born again. We could go all down the line, but that's, that's the reality. Look at Romans 8. But what's interesting is, how does he intercede? Now, you and I probably know if we've been in church that Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding for us as our attorney, as it were. 
So every time there's an accusation by Satan, you did that, Jesus steps back and says, oh, no, I, I paid for that on the cross. I paid for that. So he's constantly interceding. He's never lost a case. Now we learn that we are praying, and when we pray, the Holy Spirit gets involved with the Father, and he's interceding with the Father when we pray our ignorant prayers. Now, very quickly, how does he, help? How does he do this? Well, he intercedes, number one, he gives a helping hand. A helping hand. The word helps there. It's a great word in the Greek. I remember looking at that word, and I go, wow, it's only a few letters in English, but it's 17 letters in the Greek. That's a big word. And it's a bunch of words put together. Come alongside to assist in lifting the load. It's only used one other time. When Jesus is at Martha's home, and she's preparing everything, and Mary's at the feet of Jesus, Martha comes out, and she's very upset, and she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. There you go. Come alongside, lift the load. Now, it's really important. He's helping out. He's not taking over. You don't just stop and say, okay, Holy Spirit, start doing the prayers for me. No, we pray, we do our part, we initiate the ignorance. He comes in and says, I'm going to lift the other side of the log in prayer. That's what he does. See, prayer is something that ought to be a little more than just a flippant exercise that we do. Just little memorized ditties. When we read that Epaphras is always wrestling in prayer, agonizomai, agonizing in prayer. God says, I want you to get emotional. I want to know if you really care about this. And when you care about something, you get emotional. We'll see the Spirit does that as well. So we have a job to do. Not like the little girls getting tucked into bed. Mama says, you're going to say your prayer. She says, okay, A, B, C, D, F, G. Goes through the alphabet. I'm like, oh, did you want to tell God you knew the alphabet? No, I'm just tired. I gave him the letters and he can do the words. I'll do that, see. Well, that's not what God wants. God wants us to give him the words, give us our ignorant prayers. Now, second of all, a spirit intercedes by getting deeply emotional. So this is the area where there's a lot of controversy, but he intercedes and he, with wordless groans. What's really interesting about the Holy Spirit is we look at the Holy Spirit. This is the flip side of illumination, and that is I can't understand the Word of God apart from the Spirit. I spend a lot of time, maybe too much, with atheists, and it's amazing how they just don't get any of it. But the Bible says, we've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what he has freely given us. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit for their foolishness to him, because they're spiritually discerned. So I take the Bible, and because I have the Holy Spirit, I can understand the Bible. God can communicate to me only because I have the Holy Spirit helping out. What's cool we find out about this is I can only communicate to God the Father because of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? God can't get through to us without the Holy Spirit. We can't get through to God without the Holy Spirit. What an, it's the flip side of it. That's what Roman 8 is all about. Now, what does it mean in the same way? In the same way, he groans. Now, in, the, in this chapter, a little earlier, we find out creation groans, and it does. It's a fallen world. I mean, everything is broken. It's a fallen world. It groans in this fallen world, what's going on. Then it's, and then it says, we groan. So we do our groaning. We groan in our bodies, right? Because they have all kinds of problems. As we get older, of course, the, Paul says it's like a tent, and the older it gets, it sags, and boy, it does. And so we have this tent that's sagging, and the stakes are coming out. And he said, but not only that, this body 
it also is evidence of the fact that I still have the flesh and I struggle with sin. So creation groans, we groan, now we find the Holy Spirit groans. Notice it doesn't say we groan, it's the Holy Spirit that's groaning. Don't get that confused. Many people do, okay? Because there's two common misunderstandings. I, I don't know where I got this, but I always thought that this was a passage that said, when I can't think of anything to say and I hit the wall and I, I just go, I don't know, God, then the Holy Spirit kicks in and he says stuff for me and I'm just fine. And so I start to groan, but the Holy Spirit's kind of making me groan. It's not what the text says. Very clear. It, it just, it, very clearly the text says that the Holy Spirit groans, not us. We've already done our groaning. He does that. And so, yes, does the Holy Spirit get involved when you just don't have the words to share, so you're groaning and you're saying, yeah, that's, that's part of it. But every prayer in the Bible, there's words. So the Holy Spirit's getting involved in all of your prayers, all of the ignorant prayers, because they are all to a certain degree, and he's groaning, he's getting involved because we don't know what we ought to pray for. It's not when we don't, we just don't. A second misunderstanding is that some people think that this is a passage that refers to speaking in tongues. And your pastor's gonna address the issue. There are passages that talk about it, but no, Paul doesn't use the word speaking in tongues. He clearly uses the word groanings. In fact, honestly, if you experientially would say, you know what, I mean, every time I was struggling, I didn't know what to say, and I was just kind of groaning, did I break out in, in tongues? No, of course not. So it doesn't even experientially work its way out. It's not talking about that. So how do I know the Spirit is interceding for me? The only way you know is because the Bible tells you. It's really important to understand. Most of the Holy Spirit's work is very quiet. You got born again? Was there loud whistles and bang? But most people didn't even have huge feelings of experience. When he seals you, he's producing the fruit of the Spirit in you. It's very quiet, sanctifying us, making us more like Jesus Christ. We don't hear the Spirit's groans. The Bible says he intercedes with groans to the Father. This is really important. You and I don't utter the groanings. The Spirit does. You and I don't hear the groanings. The Father does. We're getting inside information. Isn't that cool? But it's going on. Any more than you hear Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father up there going, hey, I just want to tell you, man, I died for that sin. And he's, we don't hear that. It's, it's all this stuff going on that's revealed to us. It's awesome. Now, the most important thing the Spirit does is when he's dealing with his intercession is he gets the stupid out. Can we say that together? He gets the stupid out. You didn't want to say that, did you? Let's say it, okay? He gets the stupid out. That's the big deal. He prays in accordance with the will of God, the Father. I don't know how he does this. It's baffling. God praying to God so that God's will is done. This inter-Trinitarian work, I don't get it. I don't understand the Son and the, and the Father. I don't understand all of that. But it is what is happening I guess maybe one way to illustrate it would be that World War II soldier is uh, in France and he falls in love with the French girl. There's a language barrier. They connect in some ways. He comes back to the States, wants to write to her. And so he gets a, an elderly lady that teaches French in the high school. And uh, he writes these letters. He's a farm boy. And she edits him. She goes, oh, he needs to fix this up and that up. And she makes it a lot more romantic and it connects. Maybe that's a way to understand it. I don't. I don't understand. 
but it gets connected in, in accordance with the will of God the Father. Now, what is the Father's job? What's the Father's job? Well, he's going to do what ends up best. He's going to do the very best. Now, we're going to go through with mocks two speed on this one, the familiar verse, but I do want to back up a little bit, and you say, where do you get God the Father there? It just says God. Well, earlier in the chapter, he says, we say, Abba, Father, we are the children of God. So shorthand for the Father often is just the word for God, and it is in this situation. And he's the Father. This is so important because even though you know better, we sometimes treat God a little bit like Santa Claus because if I, was, if I was really good, then he'll give me the good stuff. And if I'm bad, well, I get the cold in my stocking or whatever. Or God's a banker. You know, God, okay, I know I haven't been doing things right, but if you give me a loan right now and kind of bless me, I'll pay you back. I'll start attending church and tithe and pray and, you know, witness and whatever. God's not a cop trying to figure out ways that he can catch you for doing wrong. That's not his goal, and certainly he's not a genie. That's really popular a lot of television preachers today, and they're not all bad, but some are, that you're going to get the genie that's going to come out of your Bible if you think, do things just right. And number one, you have enough, you absolutely know God's going to do it. You have a faith that says he's going to do it. You have confessed all your sins, all known sins. You've prayed in Jesus' name, and the most important thing you did, you send in your seed tithe money to me. <laughs> and then the genie comes out and he has to answer your prayers. That's not a father. Fathers are always going to give the best answer. So Jesus prays to his own father in Gethsemane. You remember that? He prays three times. I mean, he's for three years told the disciples, I'm going to, the, I'm going to go die on a cross. And then the night before he prays that, can I let this cup pass for me? but your will be done. The last minute, is there another way? There's no other way. Paul prays. You know that famous prayer. He prays, Lord, I, you know, I had this thorn in the flesh. I don't know what it is. Painful. Who knows? Gladly he doesn't because we can all connect to it if we have a problem. And he says, I prayed three times. And God, no, no, no. And the third time, God said, well, here's the deal, Paul. My grace will be sufficient. When you're weak, I'll be strong. Wow. Okay, God, I mean, I'm an apostle, I get to heal people, I, I do miracles, I get to raise people from the dead, and you're going to have me stuck with this thorn in the flesh? Okay, I'll glory in it. you got to know, because the Father said that's best. Loving dads always have these kinds of answers for their little two-year-olds and three-year-olds and four-year-olds. They always say simply this, there's always this answer, it's one of these three. Yes, and we love those. Wait, we hate it, it's a four-letter word. And then there's the third answer. I have something better for you, which is a no. You know, I go into a small town, you know, being a big city boy with large churches, I, my wife thought I was from the planet Pluto or whatever when I said, I think the Lord's leading us to plant a church in the little town of Exeter, which is like 10, 11,000 people. Um, it's Mayberry, USA. I'm not kidding you. Uh, and I said, I'm going to do a coffee shop church. The Lord has led me to do this. And I said, we'll do it. And so we got this coffee shop, and we started to take off in, in this little town. And we got up. We go to about 85 people, and then it was just the first few months. And then the owner, uh, where we were renting the coffee shop, goes, you can't, you can't have this anymore. But I'm sorry, but I can't rent it to you because one of our checkbooks is missing, and we're just concerned about you using the same facility that we use for our coffee shop and that that, that office area for the nursery and whatnot. And so all of a sudden, we're without a place. I, I went, what? 
So I went around to look for a place. Everybody's, they're all renting schools. So I thought, we'll go to a school and do a coffee shop there. We'll figure that out. And they, all those doors closed down. The only thing that opened up was an, an old Baptist church built in 1916. And it smelled like it, let me tell you. And everything was falling apart, literally. And so, okay, this is where we're going to meet? I mean, I want to have a contemporary, cool coffee shop sitting around tables, and, and we're going to meet here? Little did I know that in that community, 13 churches tried to plant in 15 years, and none of them made it. We're, ours was the only one that made it because we got a building, we put a lot of effort and money into it and turned it around, got the Beautification Award, all those kind of cool things. And, uh, you know, before COVID hit at our Easter, which is not a big deal in, in a big city, but 520 people, it was, like, it was like news in the community. God had blessed us. And the reason was people said, oh, you're the real deal. You're not just renting facilities. You actually have a building. And that was a big deal in our town. I, I couldn't believe it. Not only that, then God allowed us to grow. We ended up buying the coffee shop. How's that? And that's not the best news. The guy tells us, I should have told you a lot sooner, but we found the checkbook. It wasn't stolen. Well, okay. <laughs> and we'd have never had the building we have. That's pretty awesome. That's God and allow us. God said, no, I have something better for you. Now, very quickly, how does God do what's best? Number one, everything's under his control. In all things, God works. In how many? That's all. Every single one of them. I have no idea, but that is his sovereignty. That's pretty awesome. And really, the word is works together, synergy. They all work together. He's never lost control. In the little hassles of your life, the big hassles in your life, and what's going on in the world right now, what's happening in the Ukraine, all that stuff that happens, everything, is somehow God is in his permissive and perfect will has allowed that to happen. You can always know what God's will is, because if you look back on it and it happened, it was God's will. That's his sovereign will. But the Bible tells us everything also ends up for the good. It's not he's in control, but everything, because he's in control, it ends up for the good. He does not say everything feels good. He does not say everything is good, because there are things that are evil, and the Bible says that. He does not say things are going to end up good quickly. He doesn't say any of that. So if you were to say in history, what are the worst things that people say? Oh, the Holocaust, that was one of the worst things. American history. Slavery, that's one of the worst things. And they're evil. They're really evil. But there's no nation of Israel without the Holocaust. Because the whole world said, give those Jewish people a, a nation. So God allowed good to come out of genuine, horrible, evil. And there's a nation of Israel only because there's a Holocaust. I have a friend, he's a black African-American guy. We, we spend some time together and like to eat. And he's a neat Christian guy. And he's talking about his history. And he says, yeah, it's kind of interesting, you know, that slavery that came over. And there was paganism, tribalism that came over here. And my, my grandparents get to know the Lord and get saved. And my mother's a Christian. I'm a Christian now because of that. And I get to live in America. Slavery is evil, but I'm sure glad I'm in America. And so, not getting political, but... You need to understand it. US, in the U.S., because of slavery, we have Dr. Martin Luther King, Oprah, Obama, Dr. Carson, Michael Jordan, Louis Armstrong. 13% of the population, at least 10% of them, can have roots back to slavery. It's evil. God can bring out good out of it. And he does this for every one of his children. Everything under control. Everything ends up for the good. Every one of his children. That's you. See, when the Bible says those who love him and are called, that's just... There are phrases of people that say, listen, you're a Christian, so you love God. That's it. And you've been called. Because he says those he predestined, he also called. He called, he justified. 
The justified, he glorified. So that's all part of it. You're called. You had a calling you responded to. And so you're a Christian. And so if you're a Christian, it works out for the good. It does not say that everything works out for the good who's not a Christian. Because let me tell you what, you don't get in that process of that justification all the way to glorification. And if you're not a believer and you're hearing these words, I just want you to know, you may be hearing this because there's something that's drawing you. I would, I would invite you to say yes to Jesus right now, the best way you know how. Let the pastor know, the people in this church, the people are getting to know the Lord, you do that. It'll be awesome in your life. So it's every single believer. You know, Davids have been in my life, a lot of guys I've mentored, you're David, uh, part of it, and I only had a little portion of it. Others had a much bigger role in it. My David is a David Welsh. David Welsh came to our church, and uh, when he came to our church, he was just one of these happy-go-lucky guys who was dating one of the girls in the church who said, Jesus is important. When I got ch- had a chance to talk to him, I began to find out his background. He was, his dad was notorious as a rough, drug, beaten up, uh, one of the meanest guys in town, that town. They all knew about him. Got a divorce, and his stepdad was worse on him. Literally, they would both beat up on him physically. I go through his life. He had verbal abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse. And so he worked being popular in high school. He got to be homecoming king twice in extra high school. So he was really popular. And he was popular because he could really drink a lot. Got into the service, which really helped him get his life together, and got a degree in psychology, and he was putting bodies together in the helicopter. Came to our church with this girl, this beautiful girl, and found out that he needed Jesus. Comes to know the Lord, and I began to see, this guy's got a personality. He's got some potential. He wanted to get involved, so he got involved in the youth ministry, and he began to work his way up. And long story short, he ends up being the pastor, and, and I was able to literally hand a baton to him, say, this is great, and that for about a month or so or two that we went through the whole process, He's now the lead. He's my pastor. And I handed him that baton three weeks before COVID. How's that for timing, huh? He goes, thanks a lot, Doc. But people will come to our church, and the reason they do, they say, I want to come. I want to see David's a pastor? Are you kidding me? The party animal? The what? The background? And people will, he'll talk and share with people and they have issues and problems, and he's very compassionate. He says, can I tell you a little bit in my, my background, how God has brought healing in my life? And they, they walk out of that office. They go, I don't have much of a problem. <laughs> because God is there. God had a reason for all of that. He loved David. He knew David was going to be his own even before David had any understanding of all of that. Say yes to Jesus. He's got a plan. Let's wrap this up. Concluding question. What will motivate me so I want to pray more? Well, that's great. You told us all about how prayer works, and I understand that that, that's how it works, but why does that make me want to pray more? Because I understand that the issue of prayer always works because it always helps my relationship with God. It's relationship, it's closeness to God. Every aspect, praising God, gets you closer. Repentance gets you closer. Asking gets you closer. Yielding gets you closer. All of those things get you closer to God. The worst place to be in life is distance from God. The very worst is to be separated and not a believer. You can accept the Lord and you can still be drifting from God. So James tells people who are believers, come near to God and he will come near to you. Few of us run away from God like Jonah. We just drift away. 
And one of the evidences of drifting away, if we're honest with ourselves, is our prayer life is getting kind of flippant and it's not getting, there's not a passion in it and there's not, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not getting demanding with God because I, I care about these things. And we, we end up being, well, I, I call him the Lot believer. In the Old Testament, there's this guy Lot. And if you know his story, he gradually gets closer and closer to a wicked city. He just makes move after move after move until he's inside and he's kind of an authority until God's going to destroy the city, tells him to leave. And the story is a horrible ending. He loses his wife and his family. It's, 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 it's kind of an ugly, disgusting story. If I didn't read in Peter's epistle that, it, that, that he's a righteous man, I would think he's an unbeliever. But he got so far away from God and it cost him so much. And I don't know. I've often wondered, we get rewards in heaven, right? I don't know what Lot's doing. I'm thinking people like Lot probably are cleaning restrooms in heaven. What do you think? Restrooms, yeah. There's a marriage supper of the lamb. Are we going to have restrooms? I don't know. Ask your pastor. He'll have the answer to that question. But, but when you're distant from God, this life does not have the fullness that God wants you to have. And your eternity, you're missing out on the rewards. Every, you're a loser in every way. But if you get closer to God, everything in your life doesn't mean everything's hunky-dory. You don't suffer. Of course not. But it means it's, it's the best place to be, close to the Lord. So that's why the Lord says when you pray, pray in solitude. When he says, you know, go into your room, close the door. Your father who is unseen sees what's done in secret. That's what most of the prayer should be. Jesus always got away from everyone and prayed. That's why we do it. I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, if you're not praying alone with God, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. <laughs> We've got to get alone with God because it's just, it's just you and God. If I were to ask some of you right now, hey, come on up. We want you to close in prayer. Because <laughs> you're worried about everybody else, right? I think my, my, my favorite prayer meeting I've ever been in was a group of brand new Christian guys that we met in chats with really early in the morning, 5.30 in the morning. And we invited somebody else who wanted to come back. And he's coming back to the Lord. He really got away and he came back to the Lord. And we had our prayer time. And one of the new believers was... He's just a rough guy, but he loved Jesus. And he would begin, it's me again, Lord. That's how he began his prayers. And he would talk. He had some rough language, some words that you wouldn't want to use in church. He's still working on it. And he gets done praying. And this other guy who's coming back, Lord, says, I just want to tell you in that prayer, you should have done this and maybe this and, and, and maybe that would have. Let me help you out a little bit. And the, the new, believer looked at, new believer looked at him and goes, I wasn't talking to you. I just love that. I'm talking to God. I'm not going to worry about you. So the issue is, if my primary goal is to get closer to God, then all those other things are secondary. And all this is working in such a way, but I can't get closer to God apart from having that time with God in prayer. However you do that. And when you know it always works, it will always get you closer to God. What else would you want in life but to be closer to God? Not just asking, I need this, and give me this, and do that. I, I, gifts, gifts. My, your first grandchild's really special. I got seven, and I got eight on the way. Uh, you know, it's pretty cool. Kira. She's a little girl. I think she was about four years of age, three and four. Every time I saw her, I had bags of little prizes $1, $2 things I gave to her, some like 50 cent stuff. Every time, Papa gave her a prize. My daughter goes, Dad, stop it. 
This is not good for her. I got all this junk in her room, and she gets another one. I can't, you got to stop it. So I called her on the phone because I was going to come on over. I said, hey, we're going to, Papa and Mimi, we're going to come over and see you. She says, oh, good, Papa, you're going to bring a prize? And I go, no, Kira, uh, I'm not going to bring a prize. And there's silence. And then she says, Papa, will you be my prize? Bow your heads in prayer, please. Lord, I imagine that touches your heart when we just want you to be the prize. We want to be close to you and not just get the gifts, but love the giver. As you have your head bowed, in a moment some others are going to come, but this may be the day that you want to say yes to Jesus. That's the first step to getting close to God. A child of God by his gift of eternal life. And if you're a Christian right now and you're not feeling close to God, you're not satisfied with your prayer life, the two go together. Why not make a commitment right now? You know, Lord, I'm going to find that quiet place, you and me. I'm going to pray. Let that Holy Spirit get involved because we're going to get closer. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Miller, for sharing with us today. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> you know, um, if you're here and you're, you're not a Christian, you know, there, uh, there's a separation between you and God caused by your sin. And God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to be able to forgive you of your sin. And if you're ready to cross that line and come over to become a Christian, all you have to do is pray in your own heart and your own words and say, Lord, forgive me of the sins that have separated us. Um, accept me as your child and surrender your life to following him. That's what it means to be a Christian. If you're ready to do that, there's people here who can help you with that process and talk you through it and answer your questions. Um, we have pastors on staff who would love to engage with you on that. If you're online, go to campcc.net and then click on next steps and there's a form you can fill out um, and one of our pastors will get back to you. Or if you're here in person, you can go to the welcome counter on your way out in the lobby on the left-hand side and there'll be someone there who would love to engage with you uh, on this subject today. If God's doing something, just let someone know. Don't leave here without letting someone know. All right. If, if you're ready to give uh, back to God and worship Him in that way. We have three ways to do that, as you can see on your screen, online, or via check, or whatever you want to do. I just want to let you know that, you know, there's a lot going on in the world right now in Ukraine, and yesterday, because you give to us, our elders were able to say, hey, we're going to engage in what's going on in Ukraine, and we're going to give from our church $5,000 to go to the help with the refugees that are leaving the country. So, yeah, that's... It's an awesome thing, and we're able to do it because of your generosity to us. And we have two missionary organizations that we already support, the Heart of Hope in Romania. They have a camp called the Camp of the Good Shepherd that they usually use for orphan camps in summer, and we send teams down. Well, they're using the camp to house women and children coming from Ukraine. Um, and then the GDI, Global Discipleship Initiative, they have pastors in Romania that they work with that are on the border um, ministering to these people as they come through, helping them find housing and food and all the stuff they need. Um, so we're able to get money right to where it can be used. So um, we're doing that. If you want to participate with us, just you can, if you want to do some sort of special offering, you're welcome to, and we'll add that on to what we're doing and send it off to them. 
I mean, uh, there's a way to do that online or just write Ukraine on your check if you can spell it. All right. A um, couple things. One more thing coming up is um, we only vote on a few things around here, but one of the things we vote on is the budget and the other is the election of elders. And in two weeks on the 20th, we're going to have a quick vote at the end of the service. And if you want to get yourself educated on that, there's some packets you can pick up uh, at the welcome counter your way out that just have the budget in there and some information about the two elders we're going to be voting on. I'll also be emailing that on Monday. So if we have your email address, so you can just wait till Monday or you can pick out up a packet on your way out. All right, if you have any questions about any of those things, you can email me, Kenny at camcc.net. CamCC, I'm Meredith Hurtado, and besides being Pastor Dave's better half, I am the new food pantry manager and want to thank you for all your support with February's initiative. Every week, we're serving at least 120 families, so thank you, thank you. If you are a first, second, or third time guest, we have some gifts for you. We wanna put a face to the name, so please go to the welcome counter in the lobby with your connection card, or if you're watching online, go to camcc.net forward slash next steps. Check out what's coming up next. March 19th, fourth and fifth grade Nerf War, six to 8 p.m. Calling all the fourth and fifth graders, join us for an epic and action-packed Nerf War, if you dare. Invite some friends to join you. We will also have surprise games as well. So bring your A game if you think you have what it takes to win the Nerf War. Email Colin at cancc.net for more info. April 3rd, Spring Growth Groups launch. Check out the growth group table on the patio or go to cancc.net slash groups. Signups begin March 20th. If you're looking for a way to connect with people in our church, this is a great way and just an eight week commitment. Get to know a couple of families and build friendships that will extend way past the eight weeks. I would highly recommend you join one. I love my group. Try it out this go around, cause what do you have to lose? They've truly become like family. Childcare is available. For more info, email jimmoyer at camcc.net. April 7th, Travis Green and Israel Houghton. One night only. There's still some tickets left. Help spread the word. Who are you gonna invite? Enjoy two of the top gospel artists of all time. You grab your tickets in the lobby. Important dates coming up, so make sure and save the date and check out upcoming events at camcc.net. Family Camp, stay chilled in Santa Barbara, May 27th to the 30th. High School Friathon Camp, June 19th to the 24th. Middle School Catalina Trip, August 5th to the 8th. To stay in the loop of what is going on at CamCC, Follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information on any of these events, go to camcc.net. All right. Uh, I wasn't here for the whole message uh, second service, but something I heard uh, from Dr. Miller, uh, and th thanks for being here, I heard from first service, was we talked about how like, we, don't, we don't know how to pray, uh, or there's no like, right way to pray. That's why the Holy Spirit is there to help translate for us when we're praying with God. So that way God understands what we're actually trying to say. Um, remember, if it's your first time here today, uh, first, second, or third time, uh, you can go out to the Welcome Center, Welcome Counter. Someone's there to help give you a gift. And if you're watching online, uh, please go to kmcc.net slash next steps to uh, figure out what's next to do. 
And congrats on Pastor Dave. It's been five years you've been here. That, that's, still, that's still crazy to think about. It's been five years. Whoa. We've been blessed with you. Thank you. And remember today on campus, we have breakfast burritos from or to support Awana, uh, the Awana scholarship. So go outside, grab a burrito, and if you want, you can donate to them, help them out. And have a great week, and have a great Sunday, and hopefully we can see you guys next week.